in music. I trust that you saw that there were handouts in the narthex and that you picked one up as you came in. We are studying the book of Ecclesiastes, and we are actually uh, beginning to look at the text this evening. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 11. This uh, book of Ecclesiastes is the musings of a man that apparently had all that a person could want, only to find that he was not satisfied with all that he obtained or fulfilled by all that he had done. Uh, Certainly Solomon was unique in what he was able to experience. And in many ways, had it all as we think of what it would be wonderful to have, and yet Solomon was not satisfied at all. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, Everything is meaningless. The five-fold repetition of the word vanity shows the intensity or emphasis of the thought. In other words, it cannot be stressed strong enough. All is vanity. So the key question for the entire book is this. Ecclesiastes 1.3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? It must be remembered that the term under the sun speaks of life viewed purely from a human perspective. The term is used 27 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun speaks of the view from, excuse me, under the heaven speaks of life viewed from a heavenly perspective from God's point of view. And that term is used three times in the book. These are two important elements in the question raised in 1.3. The first is, what is meant for the word toil? Ecclesiastes 1.3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? The word toil is not referring to any particular occupation that we may hold in life. Rather, it refers to the hardships, energy expended, and efforts that we have put forth in living our lives. Note how this word is used elsewhere in Genesis chapter 41, verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship, same word as toil in our text, and all my father's house. Therefore, the question is about, not, the question is about work in general. What? Why labor hard at anything at all? When it's all said and done, why do we put forth all the effort that we put forth if indeed it proves to be meaningless? The second element is the word gain. What does a man gain by all the toil which he does under the sun? What lasting meaning or value is there to our lives? When it's all said and done, what have we accomplished? What has all of our hard work gotten us? And so we ask the question, was it worth it? Was it worth it? His conclusion is basically that there is no benefit at all to our work. Life is meaningless when you take God out of the equation. Application. This is of great value in recognizing the hopelessness and meaninglessness 
of life when it's lived apart from God. This helps us to understand the despair of non-believers and why life seems so meaningless and so miserable. It also demonstrates how futile our lives are as believers seem to be when we take our focus away from God. Uh, this is the statement of the ultimate midlife crisis. You know, we, we hear about that often. And uh, the idea of a midlife crisis is that people get to the middle of their lives and uh, they stop and ask themselves, why am I doing this? Why am I involved in this job? Why, why do I have this occupation? And they begin to look at their life and see that it's pretty meaningless. And so many times they have a career change or they decide <clears throat> to leave their spouse. They decide to throw off other restraints. You know, they may go out and, you know, buy a sports car or do something to try to spice up their life in some way. They try to bring some kind of renewed freshness to life for they have seen it to be unsatisfactory. So the theme of the first section is that life is tiresome. Key verses, Ecclesiastes 1.8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The statement of the fact that life is tiresome. Ecclesiastes 1.8. All things are full of weariness. Weariness is to be fatigued, weary, emotionally and physically tired. It is exhausting but with an emphasis on the emotional exhaustion. It's the kind of tiredness that you can't sleep off. You know, if you've worked hard and, and uh, you've labored, uh, you can get a good night's sleep and you can wake up and uh, ready to go for the next day. But I think we've all experienced the kind of tiredness that you go to bed tired and you wake up tired. You can't just be renewed and refreshed because life is wearisome that is still have these issues that are hanging over your head. There's this misery that you just have to continue on and persevere through. And so life is wearisome, just tired. And some people are just tired all the time. Uh, tiredness, depression often go hand in hand. So as I say, being in the context of Ecclesiastes, it deals primarily with an emotional exhaustion, Ecclesiastes 8.16 says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business is done on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. So here is a picture of somebody who is emotionally exhausted and yet they still can't go to sleep. Their mind is racing. They're thinking about the things they have to do. They're, they're thinking about the things that could go wrong. They, they think about all the troubles they're in. They have all of these Issues that just keep cycling through and laying awake at night and tired but can't even get to sleep because of all the things that are running through one's mind. See, all things speaks to all endeavors of life. No matter what one's work is, ultimately it comes to be viewed as meaningless. So it doesn't really matter what it is that you are doing in this frame of mind, but it can all seem meaningless and unimportant 
And I'll give you some illustrations in just a moment. Two, just how tiresome is life? Ecclesiastes 1.8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. A man not, cannot utter it. NAS, man is not able to tell it. Man cannot express or put into words the wearisome nature of life. Have you ever found yourself really down and tired and you're irritable and you don't even really know why? You really can't express it. You, you can't explain it to somebody else. It's just that you're down. You're tired. Life is tough. B, it's difficult to explain how emotionally tired and drained that we really are. We get frustrated with life and just want it to quit. Just get away from it all. And so people do that. They go on vacation. Only to come back with the same old issues and sometimes more tired from the vacation than they were before they left. See, we push ourselves to go through the motions, but life has lost its joy and freshness. Rather, there is an endless pursuit of something better. Ecclesiastes 1.8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which what one works so hard to get is never satisfying. Therefore, one has to work even harder to get the next thing. That's so disappointing. You think that you're going to be happy, you work hard to get X, and you finally get X after five years, and X still doesn't satisfy and so now you're on to the next thing, and you're working even harder to get why. E, all of our accomplishments are not lasting or satisfying. What we think will be our ultimate joy and satisfaction never satisfies after we obtain it. <clears throat> the eye is not satisfied with seeing, the ear filled with hearing. Ecclesiastes 5.10 he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. If that's what you're striving for, and you think, when I finally get wealthy, then I'm going to be happy, you just find out that you're still unhappy. You know, these people, professional ball players that are seeking $300 million contracts, and JT Muto is uh, you know, trying to get a new contract with the Phillies, and uh, they've offered him uh, $20 million a year for the next five years. That's not enough. And, you know, there are people that have negotiated the highest contract in the history of baseball. Only the next year someone supersedes it. Guess what? They're no longer happy because someone now is making more money than they are. Not satisfying. Thinking that this is going to be the answer. But it doesn't end up being the answer at all. Three, the reasons why life is so tiresome. Life is tiresome for life goes on just as it always, always has. Ecclesiastes 1.4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever and ever. Put it more simply, people come and people go, but life continues on. People come and people go, but life continues on. Number one, nothing ever changes, illustrated by the rising and setting of the sun. Ecclesiastes 1.5, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The sun goes up and down, up and down, just to do it all over again. 
Life continues on, just as it always has. Nothing ever changes illustrated by the blowing of the wind. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. The wind goes around and around and is compared to life's endless cycle. People are born, live, and die, only to be followed by those who are born, live, and die. It just continues on. Three, nothing ever lastingly changes illustrated by the constantly flowing river. Ecclesiastes 1.7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Though every generation does its work and makes its contributions, the work never comes to an end. It's never completed. It's never finished. It goes on and on, just like the sea. No matter how long the stream flows to that sea, the sea isn't full. Our work is never, ever fully completed, and it's frustrating. Let me give you a, a personal illustration of life. <clears throat> For many years, I was uh, heavily involved in biblical theological seminary, and I don't think many people realize how heavily involved I was with the seminary over the years. Uh, at uh, one point, they invited me to participate on the uh, board of the seminary, and I joined the board. And after two years of uh, being on the board, they uh, asked me to serve as the chairman of the board of the seminary, which I did, which I did. And uh, with that came uh, a lot of responsibilities. Okay. Among them was uh, I chaired the uh, Academic Affairs Committee, which was in charge of the curriculum as well as the faculty. Uh, I chaired a uh, committee that rewrote the doctrinal statement of the seminary. Uh, I chaired other committees as well. I saw the seminary through every seven to nine years. Uh, a uh, educational institution is up for middle states review if they have middle states accreditation. And so we were up for our review. And so I had to work through the whole middle states uh, reaccrediting process, the review process. To make a long story short, for years, almost every Monday, I spent on somehow serving the seminary, fulfilling the responsibilities I had. I hardly ever took a day off and was either being involved here or being involved in the seminary. I have a wonderful wife that supported me through all those those years. And uh, it was, just a, it was just a reality, okay? There was just all this stuff to do, and I, and I did it as a volunteer uh, for the seminary. I didn't get paid for, for those responsibilities and duties. I just did it because I, I wanted to see the seminary prosper, and most importantly, I wanted to see young men be trained uh, in uh, the scriptures and uh, be prepared uh, for the pastorate. So, so I was pleased to do it, but I'm telling you, there were a lot of long nights doing all these things after doing the things that were necessary for, for here at the church, et cetera, and also being involved in denominational activities, it was tiresome. It was weary. But I thought it's important, and I wanted to do it. So I spent years, and 
So I said, chair the committee, we, we wrote the entire doctrinal statement of the seminary. We, we reviewed the entire curriculum of the, of the seminary, had to make changes. That meant I was examining other seminaries and what they were doing in the offerings. We wrote letters to students and had them evaluate courses they took and how valuable they, they were and what kind of recommendations they would make, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Getting a picture? Okay. All that to say that the seminary today has a new name. The seminary today has a new doctrinal statement. The seminary today has a new curriculum. And the seminary today has a new faculty, except for Dr. Todd Mangum. I don't think anybody is there in the area of time that I was chairing the board of the seminary. And it's easy to step back and say, what a waste. What a waste. Everything that I had done has been undone. All those day offs, all those late nights, all that effort, all that participation, and it's gone. It's gone. Somebody else is now doing all those things. And guess what? It will change again. It will be reworked. It will be redone. And someone else will take it over if the Lord tarries. And it will be reworked. It will be redone. Will it have been worth it? Will it have been value? I'm not having a midlife crisis. I'm fine. I, I don't think my life is wasted because I'm not looking at under the sun. But if that's all we were looking at, it would be easy to throw up your hands and say, wow, what a waste. What a waste. What better use I could have used at that time? Been better to spend time with my family. Been better to do this. Better to do that. Life can be extremely frustrating when you realize that your work is never lasting. Another generation will come. Another group will take it over. It will change. It will morph. And everything that you will have done will have no lasting benefit under the sun. B, life is tiresome because nothing is really new. One, life simply consists in doing the same old things over and over again. At the end of verse 9 it says, and there is nothing new under the sun. We're simply doing what myriads of generations have done before. We wake up, we go to work, we go to sleep. We wake up and we go to work. You make a bed only to make it again the next day. <clears throat> you cook a meal only to cook another one <clears throat> a few hours later. We do the same thing over and over and over again. Why wash a car? Guess what's going to happen to it? It's going to get dirty. And you're going to wash it again. It's going to get dirty. And you're going to wash it again. It's going to get dirty and you're going to wash it again. Here we must stop and clarify two things. First, when it says that there is nothing new under the sun... 
There's not denying the realities of inventions or technological advancements. And so when people read this verse, you know, I think they immediately run to and say, well, computers, that's new. Other generations didn't have computers. They didn't have those technologies. What do you mean there's nothing new under the sun? Well, even with the new inventions and technological advances, life work is never done. That's the context. They do not bring about lasting change. When it says that there's nothing new under the sun, for example, innovations in travel. Someone invents the wheel. Then came the carriage, the bicycle, the car, the train, the spaceship. But there will always be more advancements. The problem with the invention that was made is that that for which it was made never goes away. So the transportation issue goes on. There's nothing new. All right? So yes, you have an intervention. You have an invention. Now we have a car. All right, and it started off as a steam car, then it went to electric cars, and then it went to the combustible engine, and now we're back to electric cars, and then we're going to try to get flying cars, and it just goes on and on and on. There's nothing new. It's just another change. But it doesn't end. The flying car is not going to be the final way in which we're going to get from point A to point B. There will be something that replaces the flying car. There's nothing new. Life goes on. The same needs are present. See, the computers need to be faster, smaller, more energy efficient. They'll always be in need of improvement. The way we enter data... Is it going to be typed or spoken? Are we going to get to the place where a computer can read our thoughts and we can just think about it and it will be on the page? It goes on and on and on and on. D, one cannot say, I have done it. It is finished. So Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, what has been is what will be. Again, the work is never truly completed. The poor we will always have with us. Matthew 26, 11, for you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me, Jesus said. So the priority for Jesus was enjoy Jesus and enjoy his word for the poor you will always have with you. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be concerned about the poor, but it is the reality that you will never eradicate poverty. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try to help people but you're never going to get to the place where there is no such thing as poverty. It's not going to happen. And so I kind of chuckle when I hear about and see television commercials to end poverty. It's not going to end. Disease is not going to end. I'm thankful for breakthroughs. I'm thankful for advancements. I'm thankful that we have a a vaccine that is coming for COVID-19. But we're hearing about five variants of COVID-19 that is now prevalent. The question is, will this vaccine cover all five variants? Well, guess what? There are going to be more variants. And if we do finally wipe out COVID-19, there's going to be another disease. And so we have seen the end of certain diseases, but we haven't seen the end of disease. And because of the fall, we never will. We never will. The only end of the disease is going to be when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. 
and brings in a time when there is no more sickness, no more dying, no more disease. But until then, until then, it's going to continue on. And so people will always be frustrated. It will always be wearisome for they can't accomplish it. They can't get it done. I don't want to jump ahead. So there are so many wonderful verses that are connected with this because Ecclesiastes kind of reviews and builds and builds and builds, but I'm going to resist the temptation to look at some of these other applications for we'll save them for the weeks to come. See, but the more things change, the more they turn out to be the same. And there are new guys, the old ways go on. We can put a man on the moon, but we cannot end war. We can get advanced degrees, but marriages are still in shambles. We have great advancements in training, but we still have cheating in sports. Man's major problems are still with us. You see, society tells us, what do we need to end these evils? Well, we need better education. If we had better education, then people would treat each other with kindness and justice and goodness. We will never see justice and kindness and goodness purely by a new educational form. It isn't going to happen. The root of sin is so much deeper than that. It will never, ever come to an end. And all those people that put their hopes in this cure are going to throw their hands up one day and say, meaningless, meaningless. It's all been meaningless. Two, that which seems to be novel or really new isn't novel at all. Ecclesiastes 1.10, is there anything which it has said, see, this is new, it's been already in the ages before us. Much of what seems to be new is simply the old in a repackaged form. Boy, that's, a, that's extremely true in uh, theology and in church life, church practice. Uh, I don't get at all excited about church fads because I'm enough student of church history to have seen the same old things just repackaged. It's the same old thoughts, just with new language. It's the same old issues, the same old errors, just put in what seems to be a new package, but it's not new at all. See, perhaps our job did not exist 100 years ago, but 100 years ago, people were going to work and going home to their families. D, it is the very fact that life does not change that makes the book of Ecclesiastes that was written well over 2,000 years ago still so relevant and practical today. The scriptures are amazing. They still speak. They're still relevant. We looked at an issue this morning 3,000 years ago. But pride is still with us. Self-centeredness is still with us. Family hardships are still with us. Relationships that are failing are still with us. Rulers that are self-centered are still with us. 
all these issues, they don't go away. They don't go away. And people that devote their lives to trying to solve them come away saying, meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. What have we done? What have we accomplished? What's it been for? See, life is tiresome because the joy of fame is fleeting. Perhaps one works for the glory. One works for the fame. One works for the renown. Ecclesiastes 1.11, there is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. If we have striven for fame or honor and have obtained a measure of notoriety, the reality is it will soon be forgotten. Oftentimes this is experienced in our own lifetime. Our work is forgotten. Our contributions go unnoticed. So many elderly people experience this identification crisis. They're no longer consulted or appreciated. You get older, people forget what you've done. You can put that in any context. I hear stories about the church on Locust Street and how they dug out, I guess it was the basement, and made a, a uh, tunnel over to the, the parsonage. I hear those stories. How many heard those stories? A few. How many people know who dug the tunnel? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six people know who dug the tunnel. Two generations from now, nobody's going to know who dug the tunnel. And we ask today, well, why do they need a tunnel? It's, it's irrelevant to us. And what we're doing, three generations from now, four generations from now, aren't going to know who was involved with the building project, who the elders were, who the deacons were. That's the way life is. That's the way life is. You know, unless you are a person who is really into your genealogy and uh, your ancestry, and uh, you do the whole ancestry.com stuff, Probably you don't even know your own generations, five generations back, and the contributions that they have made. Three, succeeding generations are not aware of our hard work and contributions that we have made to the church, to work, or even our own families. To put it in biblical vernacular, in the book of Genesis, there is a line, but it's such an important line. It says, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. There arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. Joseph, who was so important in Egypt's history, who provided them with food during the famine, who was used of God in a mighty way. Eventually there came along a Pharaoh who didn't know even who Joseph was or what he did. And so it affected his way in which he dealt with the Egyptians and dealt with the Jewish people. There will arise a generation who don't remember us and what we have done. It's reality. So the question again, Ecclesiastes 1.3, what does a man gain? What's the benefit by all the toil which is done under the sun? Even very famous people are forgotten. World-class athletes 
Olympic champions. Olympic champions. Their records are continually being broken. Who can remember who held the record for the mile, or what's the equivalent of the mile? 1,600. Thank you, Mike. What? Who can remember who held the, the, the Olympic record for the 1,600 three records ago? Nobody. That was a big deal when they broke the record. But somebody else broke the record. So we have this poem, a very famous poem, by uh, A.E. Houseman to an athlete dying young. It's in praise of the wisdom of an athlete to die early in his career, to die young. It begins as follows. The time you won your town the race, we chaired you through the marketplace. Men and boys stood cheering by, and home we brought you shoulder high. So you can have the picture, they're having a parade, and they have them on a, a chair that's raised on their shoulders, and they're carrying this person through the town as he has just set the record. Today, the road all runners come. Shoulder high, we bring you home and set you at your threshold down, townsmen of a stiller town. So now it's pictured a uh, casket that's being carried through the town, shoulder high. It's this runner's casket. Smart lad to slip away be- times away. From fields where glory does not stay, and early though the laurel grows, it withers quicker than the rose. Eyes the shady night is shut, cannot see the record cut, and silence sounds no worse than the cheers after earth has stopped the ears. So this person, once they die, they can't see their record cut. They can't see the cheers. They cannot hear that the cheers have stopped. Now you will not swell the rout of lads that wore their honors out, runners whom renown outran, and the name died before the man. So set before the echoes fade, the fleet foot on the sill of shade, and hold to the low lintel up the still defended challenge cup. And round that early laureled head will flock to gaze the strengthened dead, and find withered on its curls the garland briefer than a girl's. The idea is that glory fades. Glory fades. That's true not only for the Olympic runner, but it's important for us to keep in mind. You know, one of the most depressing things is to go back to your high school reunion. At least I found it that way. Went back to my high school reunion and hearing guys tell stories of what they did 30 years ago. For many, that was their glory days. That was their best years. They went to states. They did this, they did that. Nobody remembers. Only they. And those people that come back, and they gather once every five to ten years to tell the stories, to try to relive and try to remember those things that seem so important. It's hard to imagine. 
I won letters in high school. I had a sweater with a letter on it. I had it, I don't know where it is today. Doesn't mean anything. What good is it? That's history. I can't run. I can't do those things. If that's my life, it's pretty sad. Pretty sad. Life is wearisome. We don't last. We come, we go. But life goes on. The world goes on. The ministry goes on. The seminary goes on. It goes on and on and on without us. Tonight's a downer. And there are going to be a number of downers, unfortunately, as we work our way through Ecclesiastes. But there's a great joy that's to be found in the passages that look at light under the heavens. Because it looks so different than what we just described. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us from growing wearisome. Help us not to grow tired. Help us, Lord, to continue in our walk with you. The youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do not grow weary, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. I realized I didn't turn my page over. There's another page. You can read it. I'm not going to go back and pick it up. Thank you.